Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by the premier expert on Bon Jovi memorabilia. In fact, you can see him on Antiques Roadshow from time to time, authenticating some of that sweet Bon Jovi merch. But you probably know him better as one half of the amazing podcast, Hysteria 51. Brent Hand! Brent, yeah. welcome. Go on there. <laughs> uh, that's real. That's Richie Sambora's sweat right there. That's authentic. <laughs> I wondered how long. See, if you're listening on at home, you probably don't even realize. Rob and I trade John Bon Jovi fan barbs mm-hmm. at one another for unknown reasons. I wondered how long it would be in, before I got my first one. It was right in the intro. Oh so, yeah, man. I'm, I'm you're not fired on all around. cylinders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not messing around. Uh, we, you know, you you gotta throw out. You got to throw out the barbs as quick as you can. So <laughs> that's true. That's and the hits, just like John Bon Jovi. Yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> How's your back tattoo? Is it coming along? It's your almost Bon Jovi done. back. It's almost done. It's, you know? I, I hate to call it a back tattoo. It's more of a homage to all things Jovi. So <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. It is really. It's a shrine. You could. Uh, you could prop me up in a uh, at an altar, and I think people could worship it. <laughs> worship at the the skin of Jovi, the skin <laughs> of Bon Jovi. Yeah, man. So, uh, how are things going over at Hysteria Fifty One? It's going. You know, we're in the middle of a Chicago winter, so it's either sixty degrees or snowing, depending on the day. So that's mm-hmm. always fun, and. Uh, yeah, we're chugging away. If you listen to the show, we do some adventures. We call them every once in a while. We got number three here in the works coming out here pretty soon. And uh, trying to put together some live shows for 2022 just to have them canceled once again when pandemic numero whatever comes out. So always fun. <laughs> keep, it a, keep it a happy, <laughs> non-skeptical look at the future. Yeah, we're we're heading for number four here, I, I'm assuming. I, I want to see how long we've got with uh omicron here but uh yeah we'll 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 see we'll cross that bridge when we get to it but most likely that that bridge is gonna have uh you know a, a barricade right in front of it <laughs> there, there's testing just to use the bridge we'll see how it goes <laughs> oh well so brent you've had me on hysteria 51 i think like five times now so i felt it was only fitting to have you on uh mostly because uh you make every podcast that that I've been a part of uh that much more hilarious so what better subject to cover Oh well thank you. <laughs> what better subject to cover than than Wisconsin? <laughs> Man, I tell you I'm I I'm an hour from the border. I go there. I actually go to Wisconsin once a year for the Renaissance Fair where I get my yearly turkey leg and mead and uh stare at all the people and uh, not in a in a making fun of way. In a wow, they're <laughs> way more skilled than me in cosplay and, and crap like that. Well, I mean, just take notes, man. Just take notes. <laughs> take some pictures. never shave. Okay, that's <laughs> tip number one. And uh, get some fake ears. Tip number two. They're all elves and mm-hmm. running around with swords. That's, that's fair. Like, it's fun times. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's it, that. That's. I assume that's like kind of par par for the course in wisconsin along with the cheese 
Yeah, well, you know, the cheese, the Dells, and the Elves. That's the that's the way it goes. For me, at least. I'm not a, you know, for not being that far away, I haven't really moseyed into there too far. I've been to Madison. I've been to concerts and stuff like that. But uh, being a, um, out, right outside of Chicago, um, it's easy to get to, but we just don't do it that often. Because, you know, I'm lazy, question mark, but it's probably an exclamation point type thing. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm, I'm putting you to work today then, I guess. <laughs> well, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> so today we're, we're covering the story of a man named George Wheeler. Uh, he was a police officer with over 30 years of experience in New York and Wisconsin. But really, this balloons out into this giant story that is... Wisconsin UFO flap of the mid-1970s, which is a phrase that sounds completely odd because I I don't think a lot of people know about this flap uh, because it's it seems to be for, yeah, most of the mid-70s, there's it kind of starts dying down toward the late 70s, but it's like Wisconsin, rural Wisconsin. Interesting. Well, two, th- two things about this. Number one, this flap was very well documented as far as like the same people, the same things. It was, there's a lot of it out there, but like you said, a lot of people haven't heard of it. And number two, being a New York and a Wisconsin cop, I just have the most fond thoughts of what that accent must sound like. (laughs) I can't do it because I can't do either of them because I'm terrible at accents, but just a Wisconsin, New York accent has to just be delicious. (laughs) Oh, hell. oh, I'm walking. Hell. I can't do any of it, but yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> oh, oh, don't you know? Hell. I can't. No, no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's uh, that's how I kind of pictured that going in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, yeah, you know, that's a hell of it now i'm not saying he was in new york city but uh just new york they all sound like that in my mind just like people think that people from chicago all sound like the super fans uh oh, it's yeah. not exactly that way yeah yeah uh you know i think snl informs a lot of how accents are in, in the right. united states <laughs> yeah now there are people the chicago accent is kind of dying out but there are still people that have a if you're from the south side, the south side, you kind of sound like that, but uh, it's less and less as the generations pass or as we interbreed with these said aliens that are coming forward from Wisconsin and it just it just breeds it out of us one way or the other. The only time, because my father was from, uh, he was born in Brooklyn, raised on Long Island, the only time the accent ever came out was when he was drinking, but it was, it was hilarious yeah. every time. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. I, I tell you this though, I, I'm George and I have something in common because he's from this tiny town of Elmwood, Wisconsin. Population seven hundred people. That's where he was a cop out of. I'm from a little town called Pleasant Plains, Illinois. Population seven hundred people. This is uh, it's a coincidence. This is the greatest coincidence. Uh, why <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, documented by john keel like i think we need to update some wikipedia pages when this is all said and done (laughs) are you the descendant of george wheeler well i can hmm. i can neither confirm nor deny due to litigious ongoings so (laughs) due to litigious ongoings and sketchy record keeping yes (laughs) as it goes but uh interestingly enough mr wheeler was a pilot in world war ii uh he saw some 
you know, he did see some shit over there. He he was in the dogfights here and there. Yeah. But uh, by the time... Yeah, this guy's got a great resume. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Absolutely great resume. And by the time that he had his UFO incidents, because he had more than one, uh, he, was, uh, he had taken a position as a reserve officer, which basically meant that the one guy that was in charge of the police force in Elmwood... Uh, whenever he wasn't on duty, George was. So I guess George just really liked the life, and he just couldn't step away from it. I, that's a small town thing, you know. You usually have like one cop or maybe two, and then any cop who's retired can be reserve, and you can, you've got all the training they need. You put your twenty years in, so you're no longer on a force somewhere, but you pick up shifts here and there, just like a, you know, an, an old bartender that picks up shifts or something like that. It's just an easy way to make money on the side in these small towns. He can't quit that life, man. He just can't quit that life. I just like having a gun on my side. (laughs) (laughs) So on the night of April 22nd, 1976, George was witness to a dramatic UFO encounter in Elmwood, Wisconsin. His sighting first appeared in the APRO Bulletin for April 1976, And, uh, quote, the important elements of this case are, one, the primary witness reported a UFO in April 1975, thus making him a quote-unquote repeater, which is, it's Mm -hmm. almost like a derogatory term. It's dubious term to use, yeah. Yes. Depending on who you're asking at the time. Absolutely. Uh, Some researchers, and Dr. J. Allen Hynek in particular, have reservations concerning the believability of witnesses where they claim more than one sighting. It is our contention that during heightened UFO activity in a particular area, an individual could easily have more than one sighting. It's interesting to note. It's important to note. When there is a UFO flap going on, sometimes they do see more than one UFO. Especially if it's the guy who's outside all the time in a car. Yes. At night, at staring night. up at the sky or down the road. Uh, you know, take that as it will. But yeah. He is the kind of guy that Corey Hart was writing songs about in the 80s. <laughs> Just like, so that guy. I can, so I can. <laughs> he wishes he could wear those shades all the time, but at night it's. Don't hard. switch the blade on the cop in shades. Oh, no. <laughs> Two, the object or the glow from it was seen by at least two other witnesses. So we've got a multiple witness case here. Which I like that. I like that in anything when someone says, I saw it, and then other people call in not connected to them and goes, I saw something as well. That at least gives credence to there was something going on. Yes. Yes, there was. Three, there were apparently electromechanical effects on an automobile, and possibly on television reception, which, when the aliens start messing with the TV, we got a problem. Mm. I mean, this is America. We know how much we love our TV. That's right. That's right. Yeah, when the when the foil on the rabbit ears isn't working, there's hell to pay. <laughs> there is hell to pay. And you know what? Uh, Uncle Jimmy's going to his closet. He's getting his gun, and he's going to confront that <laughs> UFO. That's right. <laughs> and four possible animal reaction. So we've got a lot going on here. Yeah. Yeah. It was 11 p.m. on April 22nd when George Wheeler noticed an orange glow atop Tuttle Hill. Uh, His mind immediately jumped to thoughts of a fire that was about to rip through town. So, I mean, 
we've got kind of a Lonnie Zamora situation here, you know, Dynamite Shack versus uh, a Wildfire. So, I, I mean, I like Vigilant Cops here. Yeah, that just seems like you see a glow, you're like, fire. That seems to be Cop 101 or Firefighter 101 right there. That's just common sense, probably. Yep. So he jumped in his car and he sped to the hill, only to be met by a strange glowing object hovering above an active limestone quarry. Wheeler nervously reached for his radio and began to transmit to Sheriff's Department headquarters. He had previously had a sighting in 1975, like we mentioned, and um, when he did, uh, he received some advice from a biology professor named Jack Bostrak, who uh, did, in fact, interview some witnesses to these UFO cases. And he said, if you have a second one, observe as many details as possible. So... Uh, he began to transmit that uh, this object was hovering about 100 feet in the air, and it looked like it was composed of two plates pressed together with a wide band around the middle. That's, That's your, your stereotypical saucer shape from that time and era. Pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's the Simonton model from 61. It's, you know... I mean, like Every time you move into a new house, just go up in the attic, you're going to find a model of it because someone was making photos of them. Oh, I mean, yeah. that's just the way it goes. <laughs> and, and strangely enough, they're all made by Ed Walters. I don't know. Yeah. The dude was Who all over thought? the place. <laughs> Who would have thought? It's crazy. So the top and the bottom of the ship was silver in color, and atop it uh, was a dome casting this orangish light that George mistook for a fire, and he said, quote, it was like looking into the sun. Like, I, why are you doing that, George? Don't look into the sun, bud. I'm really good at looking at the sun. <laughs> so on the upper and lower portion of the craft, there were these three raised black circles. And there were six portholes around the middle of it, divided by in what is noted on the sketch of the craft as, quote, large rotor fins. Uh, which is very weird because it kind of looks like almost like a vent in a way. Yeah the way that it's drawn, and there was a bluish-white light that could be seen coming through each uh, porthole. And and what's interesting here is uh, this kind of, you know, kind of maybe goes into CE3 territory because George says that he could see shadows moving inside this thing. Which isn't something you always get, but there are a lot of these stories out there where there was in the windows, the portholes, and they mm -hmm. saw beings. Or he's not saying he saw beings, but he saw shadows. Yes, he saw um, shadows of purported beings. Yeah, moving inside this thing, doing whatever it is that beings like that do inside their crafts. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> On the bottom of the craft, there were a couple of odd features, namely legs, which were partially extended from uh, his observation as if this thing was on the ground and it was, you know, had lifted up. It's and, like the Baba Yaga house. Yeah, exactly. You know, it picks it up, self up and runs after you so you can't get away from it. Exactly. <laughs> that's where, like, that's this what's going on. is the Baba Yaga of UFO encounters. <laughs> yes. And it had a, a large black hose uh, that he presumed that was kind of sticking out of the bottom. It was kind of obscured by trees, so he couldn't judge how far this thing was hanging down. But uh, an odd feature uh, of this particular <laughs> UFO, because they Just don't... Re 
Merry Christmas, the shitter's full. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we got a 2004 Dave Matthews Band situation on our hands. <laughs> right. Speaking of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He'll never live that down, Brent. It's just. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you got to go, you got to go. Uh, I mean, people celebrate it at the anniversary every year, so. <laughs> That's right. That's right. In the middle of his observation, the craft lifted up further into the air at a high rate of speed. It emitted a blue flash of light that caused the squad car to lose power. The lights died and the radio went silent. And it was only in view for about 45 seconds. And he was unsure of how long his mind just kind of went blank staring at this thing. But it wasn't until David Moots stopped... That he that he kind of snapped out of it, and all he could remember were the, saying the words, "My God, it's another one of those UFOs <laughs> or spacecraft." <laughs> Not a damn year goes by. <laughs> they don't come after me. That is true, though. Well, I that's interesting enough that he's like, you know, I don't know how long that I would, uh, you know, I was staring off into the distance with a thousand yard stare, but. Uh, to be like, what do you see? Another one, you know. And I don't know. That could go either way. If you do, and you saw one before, and then it happens again, you're like, here we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's a uh, DJ Khaled kind of situation, you know. <laughs> another one, <laughs> and another one, <laughs> and another UFO. <laughs> How many UFO sightings is too many, George? I'm not sure, but we're gonna get to the bottom of it. So, uh, Moots was a nearby dairy farmer who had brought the babysitter home only minutes before, you know, yeah, bong, tiny. Chica, chica, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it, it, it's a tale as old as time, Brent. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's bringing the babysitter home and what do you know? UFO right there. Yeah. Why are you late? Oh, crap. Uh, <laughs> there was a UFO. I wouldn't have sex with a babysitter. I swear. <laughs> Call George. He'll back me up. <laughs> George saw me. George knows. He ex- <laughs> he experienced it. Uh, so, uh, Moots being the uh, kindly neighbor, he stopped and asked George if he needed any help. And at this time, George was kind of struggling to get out of his car. He'd previously had a heart attack, and fearing another one was imminent, Moots went to assist him. He asked him what happened, and George responded that he'd been hit. And uh, he, he, David tried to clarify, hit by a car? All right. <laughs> no, one of those UFOs. <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, David was not surprised by this uh, because UFOs had become a staple in Elmwood, Wisconsin by this time. So Yeah, yeah. And not only that, there were multiple witnesses to this event. Uh, Miss uh, Workland was up late that night, and by the chime of her cuckoo clock, she walked out to the kitchen to take some medicine when she happened to glance out the window. And she kind of she had this kind of perfect view of Tuttle Hill, and she saw this, quote, bright orange moon-shaped object. And uh, she stood there for a few long minutes watching this uh, thing before she just kind of returned to bed. Uh, And it's said that she never woke her husband because she was no stranger to strange objects in Elmwood, Wisconsin. (laughs) It's so funny that just, and I get that to an extent, 
when things are happening, sometimes you hear this in, in paranormal cases too, you'll have an experience, whatever it is, and they won't tell the wife or the, the husband or whatever. And then later down the road, you'll find out that both of them talk to one another and they've been experiencing things or seeing the same things and they've just never said something. That's always a conundrum to me, but it's always, it seems to be like a universal truth also. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, almost kind of the not really wanting to acknowledge it or just you're so used to it. It's like, God, do we really need to talk about UFOs again? Yeah, yeah. And I think of that first part, not acknowledging. Sometimes it, it's it's not real, it being the whatever, until you say it out loud or you give it that credence. Um, yeah. And also some people just don't want to deal with the I, I we had an experience later in I found out there was a, a nighttime we saw a ramjet engine mm-hmm. you know the the lights it was a low altitude so there like the, the donuts on the rope you could see and they were blowing this the lights were catching on it and like three of us saw it and we were all trying to explain and one of them my buddy Matt was I didn't see anything we weren't there was nothing we're like dude we we're right there <laughs> I don't know I just I, I and he never would talk about it and that was just like the weird. Like, okay, dude, sure thing. You know, it's such a weird conundrum that sometimes people go down that road. Yeah. For yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. And don't just don't acknowledge the real man. Just but then it makes it makes you look like a fucking liar or an idiot too. Uh, you being the other people because that one guy's going, I don't know, I didn't see nothing. Yeah. And we're like, it, all three of us were there. Yes, you did. You know, so whatever. It's a dick move. It's totally a dick move. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just Listen, if you've had a UFO experience with a friend, don't don't fuck them over like that. Don't do Weird it. Weird flex, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the O'Brien family farm was actually very close to the location of George Wheeler's sighting. And while the patriarch of the family was up late watching Perry Mason... You know, you, you can't you can't go wrong with that. I mean, Perry Mason back complaining in the day. about the poor reception. I'm sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he didn't see anything, but he did note one peculiarity. Uh, a few minutes after 11 p.m., his television set stopped working for a period of time, and uh, you know, at another nearby farm, there were dogs that were barking incessantly. So uh, clearly, UFOs getting in the way of Perry Mason. It's a problem. I, I was reading online uh, uh, stuff about this, and one of the things talking about the dogs, people are like, dogs bark all the time. Well, for an example, our neighbors have dogs, and they bark when the wind blows all the time. I've got two dogs, and they only bark when someone's at our door mm-hmm. or when something's off. Like if there's, you know, um, you know, something going on. We had a car wreck one time. Uh, oh, a tree fell. Uh, right in front of our house, like and it almost hit my truck, and my dog was like barking. I'm like, "What is going on?" So, you know, I, I think it's funny sometimes people dismiss the dog thing, but sometimes that is a clue if that's the type of dog they are that they don't bark. Mm. That at least something odd or uh, unusual to them was happening. So, does your dog bark when you have when a UFO encounter is about to happen? You know, or maybe if. Uh, you know, if the situation was right in your pool pong, just stop working. Like good old only Eddie if Walters. John Bon Jovi, only if John Bon Jovi is involved, that's the only time that's if he's going to bark. Otherwise, he can't be bothered by it. That's fair. <laughs> that's that's totally fair. 
<laughs> the third witness to this case was a man named Paul Fredrickson, and like Mrs. Uh, Wergland, he was no stranger to UFOs around Elmwood. These guys, these these people, just have this UFO PTSD. Like, ugh. not even PTSD, just like, ugh, another one. Yep. Here we go. Here we go. So at 11 p.m. that night, Paul received a phone call from the police chief's wife asking him to step outside to see if he could see anything unusual, because I guess that's normal. I use that uh, line, too, when I'm out in front of my buddy's house trying to moon him. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, come outside so you can see the moon or anything unusual. <laughs> so from his front porch, he could see an orange glow like a half moon like a moon cut in half. I love that quote. Just, <laughs> so much cool. And it was coming off of Tuttle Hill. He knew that they weren't flames, so when he walked back to the telephone, he informed her of what he saw. He returned to his front porch with his wife, who had awoken by this time, and for a few minutes, they watched the glow coming from Tuttle Hill. <laughs> Get me my UFO gazing slippers. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds like something uh, people would have in Elmwood, Wisconsin. <laughs> Pol- Police Chief Gene Helmer had been monitoring the situation from home. You know, the guy that George Wheeler was working for, uh, was kind of working for at this point. Uh, and he had been describing what he had seen when the radio went dead and... Helmer tried desperately to get Wheeler back on the radio. He made uh, a snap decision to head out to Tuttle Hill when the radio crackled back to life. Get somebody up here. I've been hit. That is a dangerous thing to say as a cop. Yes. I've been hit. Yes. That's got some connotations to it uh, one way. I mean, come on now. Uh, immediately you figure he's been shot, officer down type thing. Yeah, exactly. It it, it seems over dramatic here a little bit, but, you know... Uh, George has been shot with a blue beam of light or uh, I don't it, like it's kind of unclear if he's been shot by the blue beam of light or if this thing just like, you know, pulsed the blue beam of light. He was and... just like bathed in the light is kind of like I didn't feel like it was like a tractor beam shot him. I think he was just like exposed to it is the way I read it. But I don't know. Yeah, that's that's the tough thing because we don't have enough context here and, and we're not going to get enough context here. Uh, but <laughs> Helmer arrived not long after David Moots did, uh, who was just trying to comfort him at this point. You know, George, please don't get out of the car. Just just don't. Uh, so the frightened mm-hmm. cop was taken home by his wife, where he was examined by his family doctor, Frank Springer. Springer administered a shot to calm him down, though um, I don't think the interview that Chief Helmer was subjecting him to was really helping at this time <laughs> but you know uh hit him with the shot interview him yeah I'm, I'm sure that goes over well and it didn't go over well because at 1 a.m george was taken to the hospital still upset by what he had experienced and he ended up spending three days there um though after conducting multiple tests they couldn't find anything wrong with him and still he kind of suffered uh, for days after, he suffered headaches, he had nightmares, uh, and he also suffered from memory loss, uh, which I don't know if it's just because he's old or if it's because of the UFO incident itself. It's not really clear, but right. it, it kind of made they're kind of making it out to seem like the UFO made him forget things. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> like you said, uh, sometimes people push things out of their memory, especially if this was a traumatic thing, which it seems like it was. Yeah. Um, no matter how you look at this, he uh, uh, obviously really did have medical issues and things like that. And so it does uh, wouldn't surprise me if your body in and of itself was like, we're going to kind of shut that down a little bit and try to to move past it. Um, now, not saying that the aliens didn't do it. Now, come on, don't put me on record for that. <laughs> it could have been the aliens, mm -hmm. but it also just might have been his brain. Yes. Or his uh, age or, or whatever. Damn aliens, man. Just trauma all over the place <laughs> inflicted by merely just showing up and having all this cool rad tech that, uh, you know. <laughs> I wish I was so rad causes... that people just, their cars broke down and. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to experience a UFO uh, up close, but not, you know, a Stefan Mikulak UFO farted on me kind of situation here. <laughs> Something a little tamer. Uh, Choose your own adventure on that one. I, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. Uh, however I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want the burns that subside and come back yeah. over time. Yeah. So yeah. Chief Helmer noted an odd feature of Wheeler's patrol car. It had recently gone into the shop for a tune-up, but following the UFO encounter, all of the plugs needed to be replaced, as well as the starter. That's weird. You know, plugs usually go bad when they foul up due to, you know, fueling issues or, or now they could also have been the spark was issued up and the, the starter could have been gone bad too if it was engaged too much because you know, electrical issues. So, I mean, uh, you, you can make arguments for, for a lot of things like that. But then if there was electrical issues like that, you would think other things would have had issues as well. Though it was the 70s, so there probably wasn't nearly as much computerized stuff. You <laughs> Probably was crank windows and crank everything else. So Yes. Knows. Do you miss Car Talk? Well, welcome to Car Talk, because uh, Brent's <laughs> got you covered. <laughs> hey, welcome to Wisconsin Car Talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm your officer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, totally nailed that accent. Totally. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> I appreciate the accuracy for the show. <laughs> so throughout the mid-70s, Wisconsin played host to a plethora of UFO activity. and uh, uh, Cough, cheese flap, cough, cough. Uh, yes, yeah. the what, what Brent has dubbed the cheese flap of the 1970s. <laughs> That's completely and totally accurate. That's, that's I need a cheese helmet from Wisconsin, but in the shape of a UFO, just for this conversation. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I it's close enough made. as it is. It's triangular You're, in shape. So. Right, right. We can just say that's what that's what it was, a triangular craft. Yeah, it's not an actual <laughs> block of cheese. It's a fucking UFO. <laughs> <laughs> I saw shadows inside of it. <laughs> so, uh, interestingly enough, uh, George's first sighting was in... Uh, April, uh, April 10th of the year before, 1975, he saw a huge ball of fire flying over Kramer's Hill. From his squad car, he caught sight of an orange ball of fire. He believed that was a 747 about to crash into a nearby hill. And whatever it was, it was flying incredibly low. George paced this brilliant object at high speed across empty country roads he pulled into a ditch to brace for impact at one point, noticing now that the plane was completely silent. 
because yeah, that's that's something <laughs> that planes are from. Which is interesting, and I want to remember this. We'll get back to it in the future. This time when we're talking about it, it's completely silent as it's flying over them. Yes, completely silent. It was nearly eleven p.m. like it was a year later, mm-hmm. and the light from whatever this was illuminated kind of the pastures over this countryside. It was intensely bright, and George was scared shitless. Mm-hmm. Again, well, for the first time, but again, he's scared shitless, but plucked up enough courage to exit the car, looking up a craft hovering 1500 feet above him, the shape of two bulls stacked on top of one another, the size of a football field hovered above. So we're basically imagine the the other object that he saw a year later, but bigger, more giant. Yeah. It, it's interesting because he does give the same like shape wise, yes, uh, kind of thing. But but this one is huge compared to, to what he saw the next year. Yes, it is just absolutely gigantic, and it silently hung in the air for a while before it, he described it as like this instantaneous burst of speed, kind of like uh, what a lot of people describe UFOs doing. They stop on a dime and then they just shoot off. Just yeah. incredibly fast. And according to an interview he later gave, George said, I'm dying to get another chance at seeing one. So That's a telling statement in yes. one way or another. Um, not good for him, no. unfortunately, uh, in a lot of people, because people then think you're looking for something that might not be there. Or uh, you're just being honest and been like, man, I wish I could see that again. And people take it the wrong way. So. Well, there's a lot of ways that that can go, just like everything else. Yes, and according to this, um, it's kind of a road sign in Elmwood. Uh, George is a three-peater. Yeah, you shared that picture. Yeah, yeah, he's, um, yeah, he's he's one of the few that claim to have just been over and over and over again seeing these things. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh a few months later, on October 20th, 1975, between 10 and 10.30 p.m., Paul Fredrickson, who was also a three-peater, and maybe even a four-peater, I'm not exactly sure, but uh, mm-hmm. he was a nursing home administrator, as uh, we, we mentioned previously, he was witness to the April 22nd, 1976 incident. Uh, he would have his first sighting in October. And all of these are around the same time at night. Yes. The 10.30, 11, they're all of these... And I think that's an interesting thing to keep in mind uh, as we go forward. Yes. Uh, he was driving with his son, I believe his son's name is Mark, uh, near Tuttle Hill when uh, he pointed. his son pointed to the east and uh, there was an object that resembled a full moon rising at first, but he realized that it couldn't be because uh, it was rising too fast. So Paul stopped the car and got out to get a better look at it. The object was moving towards them, and when it reached them, uh, he said that it resembled something like a large gray plate. It was approximately 100 feet wide, and no more than about 1,000 feet in the air. And it was loud, like the roar of a waterfall when it was overhead. And And that's important there, because now we're hearing the last guy when it was right over the head. Mm -hmm. George is saying that it's completely silent, and now they're saying that it's incredibly loud yes so incredibly loud uh niagara falls level loud Mm -hmm. here and the frederickson boy noted 
how a blue-green beam emitted from the side of the craft at one point. Uh, the object disappeared to the west at great speed, kind of a similar to uh, the way that George Wheeler saw it. But reports, though they were sparse for for the, uh, most of early uh, the early 1970s, uh, the activity started to increase around 1974. And in April 1974, three young boys were walking home after playing basketball at the nearby Salvation Army when they caught sight of a large object in the sky. And they took mistook it for the Goodyear blimp at, you know, for a second. Uh, whatever it was flew very slow, low, and it had multiple lights on it. So... You know, a, a, a short aside, we recently were talking about blimps on on Hysteria 51 and and um, different things. And the day it released, we release at midnight that morning. I had a uh, a message from a guy. He's like, ah, taking a crap on us blimp drivers. And he's the guy who flies the Goodyear blimp. <laughs> <laughs> listens to the show and he had pictures of him like it was nighttime and they were like getting ready for or taking somewhere. I'm like, I've never, I, I, I never knew anyone that actually flies blimps. So that's awesome. <laughs> well, apparently, or at least that's what he wants us to think. Big blimp. That's what, you know, they want us to think. Hysteria 51 pissing off blimp drivers. I love it. <laughs> So, in August of 74, there was one incident that actually drew the attention of the FBI, and here is a direct quote. Quote, at 12.07 a.m., 8.22.74, Security Patrol Clerk, SPC, Intelligence Division, received a call via command center telephone from a major, blank, NMCC, National Military Command Center. Major Blank asked for any information on an object which fell from the sky at Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and had been recovered by local police and turned over to the Milwaukee office of the FBI. No information was available at the Intelligence Division. Night Duty Supervisor called SPC Milwaukee Office, who advised that an unidentified object had been recovered by Blank at about 5... 55 p.m. 8:21:74, but that it was still in p- possession of blank. He said a blank had called the Milwaukee FBI <laughs> office to report the recovery. Very little was known about the object, which was described as about 13 by 8 by 5 inches, which is very small. Whatever this is, uh, metallic substance mm-hmm. in and color, jagged on one side, and had, quote, an internal heat source, notified military locally. Internal heat source on something that small, that's an interesting claim. Yes, that is a very interesting claim. That's a, what the hell is that, you know, as far as, you know, um, uh, could it be a battery-powered light inside there? Could it be, who knows, I'm trying to think of earthly things, uh, that's giving off heat. That's just an interesting and weird claim about it. Yes, it is a very strange report that uh, of a tiny UFO. I, I dig that. That's cool. It's just a chunk of Element One Fifteen. Uh, you know, on on Pentium, just like falling <laughs> out of the sky, like we knew it would. Thanks, Bob. Uh, on December twenty third, nineteen year old Marsha Niffer was leaving her grandmother's house with her mother in the passenger seat around two thirty a.m. When a bright orange red ball appeared in the sky, 
and it was too large to be a star and closer to the ground than the moon would be. The object <laughs> made odd movements and seemed to take notice of the car as it kept pace with them until they arrived home. Marcia continued, continued to view the object from the living room window in Stoughton, near Lake K- Wow, I can't even Kaganza. Kaganza. Yes, near Lake Kaganza, the moon-like object seemed to rest on a group of trees. With the presence of the UFO, the neighborhood dogs began to howl and bark. Haha, <laughs> they never do that. No, never. <laughs> never do that. Marcia was temporarily distracted, and when she returned to the window, the object was gone. Whatever it I was. I always want to know what distract. You're looking at an alien yeah. UFO to you, alien, you know, whatever. And then you go, oh, but but look at shiny. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm yeah. Sure, I'm sure it happens. It's just funny. Yeah. Like, why do you allow yourself to become temporarily distracted? <laughs> but at the same time, what are you missing? In that short span of time, other than <laughs> watching it leave. Right, right, right. Yeah, she returned at the window. The object was gone. Uh, whatever it was, it scared her so much that she couldn't find sleep till the sun came up, which sounds like a Garth Brooks song. Uh, <laughs> Chris Gaines at best. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's totally fair. But perhaps the most dramatic encounter from 1974 occurred on December 2nd. In Frederick, Wisconsin, William Bozak, a 68-year-old farmer, was driving home from a co-op meeting when he spotted an object on the left-hand side of the road. Through patches of fog, he could see that he was headed for a collision and slowed the vehicle down. And through a transparent glass dome, was able to see a frightened creature. And, like, uh, I'm not going to talk a lot about this case because it's going to be coming up on a future episode, but, like... It's like looking at this creature in the sketch, it's you got William Bozak, who's like driving a truck in this frightened creature that looks it's supposed to be underneath a dome, but it looks almost like it's on the side of the road. And uh, it's just like, I don't know, there's 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 something human in that sketch when you look at it. Really? It's the. So the dome was like they were trapping it kind of thing. Did you take it that way or was was that them on the ground exploring? Like which way was he saying that was? I think the dome was part of like a a craft itself that was just like very low to the ground that was just like approaching uh So his... that was them themselves yeah. inside. Okay. The the quote unquote them. Yeah. Yes, the quote unquote them and like the sketch of this, uh, I think the best way to describe it is like the this creature kind of looked like like a fawn. It kind of looked like Mister Tumnus from uh, the Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was a uh, it had a you know goat legs and was drinking tea and had a monocle. It was the damnedest thing. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, he wanted to invite you over for tea, where he was going to turn you over to the queen. But you know that's uh, that's neither here nor there. Sighting reports would increase dramatically in 1975, just as the new year began. Ruth Christensen, a resident of Frederick herself, found a strange set of tracks on her property. Reported in the Afro Bulletin... Wow, wow, the Afro Bulletin. What the fuck was that? Uh, okay. Reported in the Afro Bulletin, 
Quote, the tracks started just outside the south living room window, proceeded to a lawn bench about 30 feet southwest of the house, then veered toward the northwest and stopped at a snowdrift. She, Ruth Christensen, carefully examined the tracks but found no indication that they had been made by any animal which she was familiar they had no toe or claw marks, were situated one in front of the other, approximately eight inches apart, and were two inches deep. Mm, sand people. Yes. They walk in file to hide their numbers. They, they hide those numbers, Brent. That's just how we do things here. So, interestingly enough, the tracks were described as being uh, horseshoe-shaped, but uh, they didn't appear to be made by a four-legged animal, more like a Which is interesting, because in the snow, horses don't make a horseshoe-shaped imprint unless the snow is very shallow, you yeah. know? So that's an interesting... I don't know. <laughs> Read into that what you will. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And not only that, these, these prints just kind of disappear. So, you mm -hmm. know, in conjunction with the Bozak sighting, you got some really odd footprints that show up at the the beginning of the next month. So uh, that is, yeah, that is another interesting feature. So the night of March thirteenth, nineteen seventy five, was a particularly busy one for UFO activity. Multiple witnesses reported UFO activity in Ashland, Wisconsin. Several policemen had noted strange objects that day. The most dramatic encounter occurred in Mellon. 15-year-old Jane Baker was taking the cats to the garage for the night when she heard, quote, a strange, high-toned noises. The cats can't be in the house at night. Everyone knows that. they got to go in the garage. I mean, I we, we, that's weird to me, but it is. I've got one in the neighborhood that just likes to go in my garage, so I, yeah? Yeah, I understand how this goes here. You know. <laughs> so from a hill to the north, a silvery disc-shaped object with a dome on top, cast a yellowish-white glow. Around its midsection were a series of red and green lights that flashed off and on. Jane quickly ran inside to alert her father, who was watching the Henry O. show on TV. <laughs> Just a lot of TV watching here. Just a lot of it. So while the glow was subsiding... Perry Mason wasn't on that night. <laughs> no, Perry Mason wasn't on until late, you know, so... If you're gonna watch Perry Mason, you gotta stay up late because it was, uh, you know, it was a little too hot for TV there, Brent. <laughs> I mean, it's Perry Mason. <laughs> While the glow was subsiding, the flashing lights had gone out, and the craft was just completely silent. It just hovered there, and they walked outside to get a better look at this thing. From about 300 feet away, at the edge of their driveway, the object took a position on the road right by their house. They could hear a metal-on-metal metal hammering, banging sound uh, at one point. They were just working on it like those other ones. They're just, they're just working. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sometimes, got... sometimes you got to fix a flat. You got to do something. Yeah, exactly. We've got a, uh, we've got a Lonnie Zamora kind of situation here, and you know, something bang. Maybe they've got a, I don't know, change a tire. Do they, do they have tires? I don't know, but. <laughs> They have legs. We've already established this. Come on now. I mean, they do have legs. <laughs> they got to change a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> but do they have legs? Uh, do these legs have uh, you know wheels on them? Kind of like you know horseshoes. <laughs> Are you even paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> 
So they returned inside where Jane's father put in a telephone call to the undersheriff. And while he was on the phone, they both heard a loud boom. And when Jane looked outside again, the craft was gone. Other members of the family, including the matriarch and Jane's three brothers, all saw the object from their home as well. The next morning, Jane stepped outside to look for any traces that the object had been there and saw a similar object. There were no lights cast by it, but its shape was clear and it was kind of hovering above the evergreen trees. So she went back back inside to grab some warmer clothing and returned outside with the dog. Like, just so many dogs in these stories. Bring so in the many. dog and put out the cat. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, you know, like the Flintstones. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> well, <I'm> a... Yep. <laughs> so they moved closer and the dog just had this kind of visceral reaction to the presence of the UFO. They yelped out and pawed their ears and they just became incredibly still uh jane carried the dog back to the house and when she came outside again the craft was gone this time with no boom later in the morning she walked outside with her brothers john and montgomery and there on the road was what they described as snow that had been quote fluffed up (laughs) Hmm. these are Experienced fluffers, I can tell you that right now. Uh, Something like that. Something (laughs) like that. Quote, there were tire tracks over the area where a car had passed after the object had left, but there were also bicycle tracks leading up to it. Then taking up again on the other side, these were tracks made by one of the boys riding his bicycle the morning before. The, quote, fluffed up area apparently obliterated parts of the bicycle tracks. So... Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, there were bicycle tracks leading up to where this UFO was sitting, and there were bicycle tracks after it, but from where the UFO had sat on the road underneath it, these tracks were apparently just obliterated. They did not, were not there anymore. Yeah, so does that mean that the craft sat down and caused that, or someone did that to cover them up type thing? Is there a cover-up? Of the bicycle mm. tracks. Hmm. <laughs> Was the guy driving that car dressed in black? <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> with pale uh, skin and red lips. <laughs> yes. And did he ask uh, the snow how Barney Hill died? We don't yeah. know. <laughs> and then show you a magic trick with a coin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and, oh, crap. Where'd it go? It disappeared. <laughs> That's my smell test. Yes. So one month later. Two 18-year-old boys would have an incredible encounter near uh, Wasso, and this is from the hum- Humcat Index, the humanoid catalog uh, that was compiled by David Webb, and uh, I'm not sure there were a couple other people involved with it, but, quote, two 18-year-old youths, Rod Seagraves, Mike Lewandowski, were driving west on Highway A from Wasso towards Athens, when their CB radio ceased to function, and Mike saw a UFO about 1,500 feet north of the road, flat on the bottom and dome-shaped on top, it was on or just above the ground and shone with a pulsating silver-gray light. After about five minutes, they saw a seven-foot-tall, quote, tree trunk <laughs> near the road 100 feet away. Mike saw it move slowly and then drove away westward. When they returned, the UFO was still there, but the tree trunk was gone. 
In Wasseau, they parked behind a restaurant and both fell asleep at 3 a.m. When they awoke at 6.30, the car had been moved in the parking lot. Both were dirty, Mike's face had charcoal-like dust on it, and a quarter tank of gasoline had been consumed, suggesting that they had driven back to the UFO, approximately 35 miles away, while asleep. Subsequently, Mike's intelligence level appeared lower than it had been before the sighting, <laughs> and his memory was poorer. Um, so where were they getting their drugs from? <laughs> uh, that just sounds like a night of partying. No, no, but, you it, know. That... It's, 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 it's out there. Like, you saw well, that is a, a sentient tree truck? That's a new one, yeah. And it is interesting that, you know, the... Um, well, you got everything in here. You got missing time. You've got physical effects. You know, that I'm not saying, I don't think they were saying that he was lower IQ for the rest of his life. It was more like a case of the dumbs. Like you, you know, you're almost like you're hung over or tired or something like that. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting to say the least. Yeah. Because the suggestion here is that they may have had kind of like an abduction kind of mm -hmm. uh, dealy here, but yeah, it's just, it's just kind of weird. So Sightings continued throughout the rest of the year. On June 1st in Milwaukee, hovering craft watched a group of children play football in an empty field. <laughs> I, I appreciate the spectator sports. You know, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's good that the UFOs are, are, are cultured here. That's right. In July, a young woman claimed to have seen an object that flashed a series of colored lights in her direction. She also claimed, through telepathy, that a voice asked her if she wanted to come on board the craft. At first she said yes, but retracted her statement when she became concerned for her mother, who had already lost two children. That, that in and of itself right there is such a fun or weird... Mm -hmm. Hey, you want to get up on here? Yeah, wait. Um, I, I, I've already got two uh, siblings that are dead. I better not do that. I don't want to make mom mad when I die. That, that is a weird go-to. And that whole, that's another thing that we've seen in other cases too. The, the implanting of thoughts, come do this, don't do this, stay away, come here, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's interesting, but that's the only one in this flap that, that I, I can remember of that had that as part of its, its, you know, happenings. Yes. So, um, this is perhaps my favorite case from 1975. In October, a truck driver encountered three beings who gave him a crystal, commanding him to guard it with his life. Three days later, the crystal was taken from him by a man in black. That's just a drug handoff. Mm -hmm. That's just a drug handoff. <laughs> the intergalactic drug handoff, yes. Uh, that crystal was meth version crystal. <laughs> we, that uh, man in black was <laughs> just a DEA agent who found him. Like, we all want alien crystals, let's be honest. We all want to be handed alien crystals, and we all want to feel that connection to some kind of alien being out there who says, guard it with your life, but... You're right. Yeah. You're, you, you read my mind. That's why I, you know, I've just got crystals everywhere, just in case some of them turn out to be alien. Just in case. Yeah, exactly. Just in case. <laughs> you can never be too careful when it comes to your alien crystals, but uh, 1975 was also the time of the famed Gondola Man. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if I've talked... Uh, I'm not familiar with this one. 
Okay, so on the Patreon a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I I told my buddy Brian the story. It it, it appeared uh, at the end of this issue of Flying Saucer Review in its World Roundup like section, and it took up the whole like like the whole part of it, like half a page. And it's an account from these folks named the Eebles, or the Eelbees. I I don't know mm-hmm. exactly. I can't remember exactly how you pronounce their name, but they got a knock on their door, and there was a strange man at their door. Looked very human. Had a very small mouth, though, like very small, like almost like fish. Like she described it as like being like a fish, and he was well, holding yeah. a stick, and he was dressed like. He was about to pilot a gondola down a river in Italy. <laughs> and the thing is, is that uh, there were four other, other of these men. They all, like, floated in the air, but they, like, glided in the air, too, like 10 to 11 wow. feet at a time. The interesting thing about the gondola man at the door is he, he was standing on a pair of steps that he brought himself. I'm I'm not lying there. Like the sketch of Gondola Man, he's standing on his own steps. <laughs> Would you like to buy some Amway? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm uh, hold on a sec because I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna send you a pi- the picture. Oh, nice of, of Gondola Man because I I've, I do have him handy here. Uh, just a second, but um. I, I showed it to Brian and he couldn't stop laughing because like the uh, belief I, and I believe this case was investigated by Ted Blocker. Mm-hmm. He was con- convinced that these were aliens. Okay, gonna make me scroll. There we go. <laughs> and sending. There we have it. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. Step right up, step right up. Yes, sir. <laughs> He's got gondola the stick and everything. Looks like he could either be yeah, about to pilot a gondola down a river. Uh he could be in a part of a barbershop quartet, or he could be mm-hmm. a carnival barker. I'm not sure. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, this couple basically she she's like, Yes, can I help you? And Never responded. Just stood there while these other goofy freaking people in the background are just floating in the air uh, <laughs> until they eventually just closed the door and deadbolted it. <laughs> right, right. Sometimes you just gotta go. Nah, I'm nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> I'm gonna leave this one to you. So the UFO activity continues to ratchet up. In 1976, and a week prior to George Wheeler's dramatic encounter of April 22nd, the Sheriff's Department of Loyal, which is about 109 miles from Elmwood, received a number of phone calls regarding strange objects low to the ground that cast bright lights below them. And on May 2nd, near uh, Waukesha, again from the Cumcat, quote, Miss Dagmar Knoll and Lloyd Pringle were driving from Winter to Waukesha when they saw on the road in front of them a, quote, machine that looked like a car and yet it didn't look like one, quote, or end mm-hmm. quote, uh, of a whitish or faded bluish color. 
when it stopped 200 feet ahead, a slender man dressed in a dark colored jumpsuit jumped out and ran very fast across the road and back again to the UFO, which he got into without opening the door. Then they noticed a larger UFO covering the whole road, 200 (laughs) feet farther on. It was dark red and shaped like an upside-down bowl with some dark markings on it. Both (laughs) objects disappeared simultaneously. They did not see them take off, end quote. So you got Bo and Luke Duke, or just one of them, jumping (laughs) through the window. Yes. (laughs) And just rip-roaring out of Hazard, Wisconsin. Yeah, this is this is what we have. This is this is well, the Dukes of Hazard of UFO encounters. Mm-hmm. Makes me wonder if these two uh, had that you know boss hog kind of vibe to them. Really want to know. So G G G G or however the copies to laugh. So on July 11th, quote. Dean Anderson was cutting grass on a golf course under a bright full moon when he noticed two round discs, quote, coming off the moon, end quote, side by side. One flew off. The other dropped down and landed 200 yards away. A ladder appeared at the side and three figures ran quickly down it, after which A heard, quote, pounding coming from under the ship toward the back, end quote. A few minutes later, the figures ran back up the ladder, which was hauled back in. The men were about five foot eight to six feet tall and very agile. The three landing balls of the UFO left depressions two feet deep and 15 inches wide, 30 feet apart. A has photographs of these indentations, which I did not find. Uh, we're going to return to Dean Anderson in a little bit, but uh, there's another sighting on August 7th. Orville Zielbauer. That and is his... just a beautiful name. Yeah, I it is. Zielbauer is a beautiful name. Oh, it, 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 I think Zielbauer. it could rival like a name uh, like Polaris as like the ultimate <laughs> in snowmobiles. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Orville in the Sun Mark was 15 saw an object with revolving multicolored lights about the size of a small camper trailer land in a hayfield out of view Mark drove to the site he did not see the UFO but he saw by his headlights two green men one slightly mm-hmm. taller than 5 foot 7 the other one smaller the two men put their hands up to their eyes and quote disappeared somehow <laughs> It's slightly taller than five foot seven, five foot eight. I believe so. I believe that's what we're talking about. Maybe he's talking about five foot seven and a half. Because I'm going to tell you, last time I went to the doctor, they took my height. They said I was five foot six and a half. And I think they put that half inch in there to make me feel better about it. (laughs) I just love that they were green, too. Not little green men. Average sized green men. You know what I mean? So that's. Good for them. Good for them. Yes. So on August 16th, Dean Anderson. Boom. A twofer on this one. As a follow-up encounter while mowing the grass on the golf course again. (laughs) And had a kind of contacty type of experience involving beings from Jupiter and Saturn named Sonar and Trina. We've got a contacty situation here. Um Hi, we're gaseous beings from from <laughs> gas giants, and uh, 
We're here to talk to you about your mowing practices here on Earth. <laughs> uh, could we interest? Uh, could what would it take us to put you in an intergalactic John Deere today? <laughs> I'm not leaving until you say yes. <laughs> in September, Michael Balin was involved in a dramatic abduction. So mm. Michael J. Balin. 58, awoke from sleeping on his living room couch and found himself levitating off the couch and floated into the kitchen. As he passed the kitchen light uh, switch, he flipped it, but the light did not go on. He floated into the hallway, and there at the bottom of the steps stood a man dressed in black clothing, holding a five to six inch, quote, gadget, which he was pointing at B. In his left That's called hand, a probe. Maybe. Maybe it is. I, I Yes. In his left hand, he uh, held another gadget, which he clipped uh, onto one of uh, his uh, fingers on his right hand. He was uh, short of stature with sharp pointed features, dark olive skin, and black eyes. Mm. His eyes didn't move like our eyes, but... Uh, around B floated past him and out the door then lost consciousness uh i did a terrible job cutting and pasting this but uh, uh later he came to and he was standing in the driveway watching the man back his car out of the driveway the man hollered out to him don't don't dare follow me <laughs> then then B noticed standing to his left a, uh, this is not a technically uh, correct term, a dwarf, quote, with a larger head than ours, end quote. Uh -huh. He lost consciousness again and came to standing on a hillside uh, instead of uh, uh, where the, okay, yeah, like again. Out in his driveway type thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he was just in a, standing on a hillside, uh in a very, very strange place. Um, and then, just like moments later, he found himself back on his couch. And this was like, uh, he said it was on like a dream experience, but like very vivid, like a living memory. So that's, I don't know. That's such a hard one, though, because mm -hmm. he was asleep. Then he says he woke up and then, then he came back to where he was supposed to be asleep. Uh, the mind can play crazy tricks. You're not saying that that's what it is. But this one, in of itself, throws off a lot of alarms for me just because I was asleep, but I know it wasn't a dream. Yeah. It's, it's just another interesting, you know, weird-ass encounter. So there were a lot of less dramatic encounters throughout the year as well. Mm -hmm. I I pulled a lot from the Humcat just because there's always, you know, the wildest uh, yeah, humanoid experiences on there. But uh, on August 28th, 1976, in Marion, Wisconsin, Delisle Miller had seen an object flying at low elevation and moving slowly near his home. Bright rays of light were coming off of it, and through a telescope, he was able to determine that the object was a triangle shape, which is uh, unique to this flap now. Uh, on one September evening, uh, a witness identified as John D. reported an incident to a UFO group in Wisconsin. Quote, on my way, way to work one evening, I spotted a light next to a deserted barn where I hadn't seen one previously. There also seemed to be animals or something on the ground under the light. 
After riding past this barn on my motorcycle, a low-flying object suddenly flew overhead and disappeared behind a grove of trees. By the time I cleared the trees, the object was nowhere to be seen. I looked back over my shoulder toward the barn, and the light was no longer there. And I've never seen a light or any animals at this location since. Wow. Numerous reports came in from Douglas County in October, sightings of, quote, red ball-shaped objects hovering just above treetop level. In October of 1977, a year later, Paul Fredrickson would have his third sighting. This time with the... Yeah, we're getting Sorry, the three-peater. Sorry, I'm just getting peter. excited, yeah. <laughs> we're getting the three-peater. Uh, this time, uh, again, with his son Mark alongside. And near Tuttle Hill, apparently... Man, we Tuttle- need to put a damn camera on Tuttle <laughs> Hill. We really do, uh, because we've had numerous UFO sightings over Tuttle Hill now. So, uh, yeah. near yeah. Tuttle Hill, yeah. the sun pointed to an object toward the southeast, quote, Is that the way the moon comes up, Dad? He asked. Whatever this object was, it approached them fast. It was round and bright orange. The object got close enough for them to see underneath it. As quickly as it had arrived, it was gone. According to a road sign near Tuttle Hill in Elmwood, George Wheeler had a third sighting. Mm -hmm. Though we haven't been able to find any information on this sighting, which occurred uh, about seven days after his April 22nd, 1976 sighting, the town of Elmwood chose to honor its UFO history proudly. Sadly, George Wheeler would pass away six months after his April 22nd encounter, and it's unclear if the UFO had anything to do with this. Maybe, like, maybe... The, a remarkable experience could have caused the man's death. But really, like he'd already had a heart attack. Yes. And then you go through a traumatic experience, whether it was what he said it was or not, what he thought it was plays a lot into that. That could really, the stress from that, or could have nothing to do with it. Yes. But, you know, you can't rule out any of it. They also talked about how his health just kind of just started deteriorating after April 22nd. So, Which is uh, another trope that you hear about a lot. Yeah. The, yeah. the the whole and then I mean we're not talking Barney Hill space herpes but you know it's it's at least going downhill in and of itself in, in a more pedestrian way <laughs> absolutely so <laughs> uh, interestingly enough uh, Elmwood would receive some attention years later when their quote UFO days were featured on the Geraldo show. <laughs> they, uh, today UFO days, Nazis and uh baking with so and so, you know, <laughs> the good old days of Geraldo. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh this is back in the day when uh, a lot of talk shows were featuring, you know, UFO experiencers. There was a lot of UFO coverage in the 80s on, mm-hmm. you know, like Oprah, Donahue, Geraldo, uh, uh, I think Sally Jesse Raphael had some on her show and, um, yeah. you know, it was just, it was just a big thing. So, um, back then they had a festival to celebrate. Um, and you know, the reports in Wisconsin didn't really die down. Um, they continued for years, but, uh, they never really received the attention that they did in the 1970s. And that there is the cheese flap. Of the mid-1970s. It's an interesting uh, one for sure. I mean, 
going over these things, and I'm sure you've ran into them, it was interesting because if, how many of them say they saw a bright orange ball? A lot of them. Yeah, a lot of them. You yeah. know, a lot of them around Tuttle Hill. A lot of them were um, uh, around the same amount of time, you know, and, and or, or time at night, I mean to say, you know, uh, not to mention they were all in that time of area. And another thing to talk about is they were under intelligent control um, and everyone seemed to be aware of them. Even if you hadn't saw them, everyone in the community was expecting them. It wasn't, you know, anything crazy. So I went online and I looked up Wisconsin military bases versus where Elmwood location is. And Wisconsin has 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 military bases currently. Now, I didn't compare that to the 70s. I don't know how much it would have changed. Elmwood isn't really by any of them. No. Um, in fact, Elmwood is closer to Minnesota. There's a U.S. Army uh, Reserve Station um, in Euclid, uh, Wisconsin, which is the closest, but Elmwood is kind of outside of there. I thought maybe they were, you know, you can always blame a lot of this on unknown objects and things like that. And I, I wanted to see if maybe this was in a testing pattern or something. But then also, it's in the middle of nowhere, kind of in a way or a place where they might test things also mm -hmm. because it's out of the uh, air traffic patterns of the normal flights and things like that not to say that that's interesting or, or definitive proof or anything it's just an interesting thing to think about yeah it, it kind of has shades of gulf breeze where there are like mm -hmm. a crap ton of military bases and uh right around gulf breeze florida so it's interesting to note uh you know still did you still they, they they did George Wheeler dirty. They did him dirty. Well, at least he's got a sign on the side of the road. And if they did do him dirty, you're right. They're never going to come forward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry about killing your guy. Here, let's give you some money. Yeah, that's <laughs> that just screams U.S. government, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, they, they totally they totally gave, uh, you know, the the victims of the cash land management just like a boatload of money just to, you know. Oh, oh that's right. Their their case didn't hold standing. Uh, Our bad. Yeah. Sorry. Look at look at when they did burn chemicals in 96 of the, the cases they had against Area 51 when they were burning all those chemicals out there and the guys that were just had to stand outside of it and burn crap and holes outside of uh, outside of Groom Lake that came forward and said we're dying and we just want to know what was in those chemicals so that our doctors can treat us and they said yeah. Sorry, we're not telling you. Yeah. You know, the we're real... the government, cha cha cha. You know, <laughs> right? And 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 uh, you know, Clinton goes, "Yep, they don't need to tell you." And he was the guy that supposedly wanted to know about UFOs, and they didn't tell yeah. him anything. But yeah, I don't know nothing. Yeah. Oh shucks. Now go grab me one of them cigars. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, damn you, Bill Clinton. But. Uh... <laughs> Brent, if uh, if the folks want to know le and learn more about Hysteria 51, where can they learn more about that? Well, you can go to Hysteria51.com. That's a great place. <laughs> you also, if you want to hear us, you can find us at any podcatcher. Anywhere you're listening to Rob and, and any of your favorite podcasts, you can, you can find us. And also, if you want to join, uh, if you're on Facebook, we have a discussion group on there called Hysteria Nation where we talk about all sorts of randomness, and there's also a lot of memes and silliness on there. So it's a fun place. 
But uh, the easiest place, hysteria51.com. It's an, it's an all-in-one you know shop, folks. So yeah. head on over there. So uh, on the <laughs> Patreon, Brent is going to be joining me to talk about an aspect of the UFO phenomenon. It's fraught with controversy. We're going to be talking about the repeater problem mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. So uh, if you haven't joined the Patreon, uh, and if you haven't joined the Hysteria 51 Patreon, you should go do that because it's going to be a, a joint release. So uh, if you haven't, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash your UFO guy to join up. Uh, you can also find it by following the link in the show notes. Uh, and another way that you could support the show is by sharing it with friends. It's always a good thing to do. Leaving ratings and reviews help too. Uh, pay, uh, Spotify now has a yeah. rating feature. So go go check that out. Go use it. Go give us five stars. We you know it's in your heart. Yeah, five stars in your heart. Just give it to them. <laughs> just just give it to us. You know we we, we deserve it. Uh, and uh, special thanks again, Brent, uh, for stopping by and talking about this cheese flap, man. It's, Always uh, a pleasure. I'm I'm a fat guy. I love cheese. You had me at cheese, so come on now. <laughs> That's fair. I uh, it's like that <laughs> quote: uh, "Whatever you do in life, you'll never be as famous as cheese." So, <laughs> you got that uh, right. thank you to Floats for the use of their song "UFO" for the intro and outro to this program, and thanks as always to the great Desdemona for designing our logo and our merch. Did you know that we have merch, people? T-shirts, hoodies, and you know, a bunch of other stuff. Uh, you can find the link to that in the show notes as well. It's over at uh, our T Public store. And finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or in the skies of Elmwood, Wisconsin. In gray, we trust. <laughs> Yeah.